The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Dela Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook and angeltarot.org. So we are here today to talk about an interesting shift in the life of Dr. Wayne Dyer. We generally think of him as making a shift into spirituality in the early 1990s. But really, this was in the works a little before that, as you can imagine. So join me as we take a look at some of the things that were happening in his life as Wayne Dyer started to talk more about spirituality in his writing. So let's start from the beginning, just as a quick recap, that Wayne Dyer got his Doctor of Education degree in counseling from Wayne State University. And while he was there, he studied humanistic psychology from great thinkers of the day like Abraham Maslow and Carl Jung. And then later he worked as a professor of counseling psychology at St. John's University in New York until he left that position to get in his car and try and sell his new book, Euronious Zones, which was published in 1976. So in our previous episode, we talk about the path of his life leading up to that book and many of the influences that inspired him and planted those seeds for self-actualization and um, self-realization or God-realization and synchronicity and, you know, all of these terms that so many of us associate with Dr. Wayne Dyer today. But now I want to talk to you about really what happened after Euronius Zones. So by 1987, he had published five successful books, Euronius Zones, Pulling Your Own Strings, The Sky's the Limit, uh, Gifts from Icus, What Do You Really Want for Your Children? And his agent, Artie Pine, has this great idea, arranges a deal with his publisher for a two-book deal that was going to make them a fortune. He's like, this is going to be so easy, and people are going to love it, and we're going to make so much money off of this. I'm sure they offered him a huge advance, and the publisher had already agreed to it. So his agent, Artie, brings this to Wayne and says, "Um, the first book we want you to write is a self-help book on money-making, and then you're going to come back and do a follow-up telling people how to have a great sex life. Now, 
these were really popular subjects of the day, and I think you could argue that they're still <laughs> popular subjects, but it really wasn't where Wayne wanted to go. He'd been talking about psychology, he'd been talking about how to be a no-limit person and how to be really self-driven and self-motivated and and live without suffering by you know, changing your self-talk, changing what you believe is possible for you. And he was on a mission to teach us self-reliance. So where did he want to go from here? And he was starting to feel this pull to move in a new direction. So he turns down this deal and his agent is just like, you know, what is wrong with you? I don't understand this. Like, this is such a great deal. Like, come on, let's just take it. And Wayne's like, no, you know, he's he's not going to compromise. And he comes back with this idea for you'll see it when you believe it. And Artie's like, I don't even understand what you're saying right now. That doesn't make any sense. And the publisher and Artie both tell him over and over again that the general public is just not interested in reading books pertaining to spirituality and higher consciousness. <laughs> which is pretty funny because if you're here today, that's probably how you know him. And that's certainly the influence that he had on my life. I mean, that's exactly what I wanted to know about. And maybe I didn't even know that's what I wanted to know. But that's what fed my soul and influenced the direction of my life and just the way I think about things and, and what I was interested in learning from there. So this wasn't the first time that he had dealt with criticism or pushback from a publisher or people telling him that he should be doing things differently. You know, when he was a, a professor, he had to write a lot of, um, you know, academic um, journals and, and he co-wrote a couple of textbooks, but he was really frustrated by having to fit that formula of academic writing. And then when he gets his book published or is getting it published for your your erroneous sounds they wanted his book to sound more scholarly like same thing all over again they wanted him to have case studies and annotated references but he knew in his heart that he really wanted to help people this was something that he had yearned for for years and when he wrote erroneous sounds you know that was the product of what he'd been wanting to do for a long time so he had a private counseling practice. And so he tells himself, just stay the course, keep it simple, talk straight to the reader. This is what's been working with your counseling, and it's going to work here for the readers as well. So he had to deal with some pushback on your erroneous zones. And thank goodness he did, because it's that straightforward conversational style that reached so many of us. When he was writing The Sky's The Limit, which was published in 1980, he had some issues with the publishers there as well. He had written the manuscript for the first half of the book and submitted that. And it came back to him, totally rewritten in somebody else's voice. It didn't sound like Wayne. It didn't look like Wayne. Like it had some of the basic information in it, but it was a different writing style. And he went back to the publisher and was like, what is this? He doesn't even know who the editor was. It was like this ghost editor that <laughs> chopped up his writing and turned it into something else. And, you know, he liked the way his previous books had come out and he wanted this to be that, that way as well. 
but he ends up kind of compromising because he can't like he's not getting the answers he can't quite get it worked out and the second half of the book he gets to kind of do his own editing on it but it never came out the way he wanted it to be and so he walked away from that saying that he would never allow anyone else's input to trump his own And that's really heartbreaking because The Sky's the Limit was the book that he was dedicating to his mentor, Abraham Maslow, and he felt like he let Maslow down as well as letting himself down. And then when he went on the promotional tour to do interviews for that book, you know, he says the energy was just different and maybe it's because his heart wasn't fully in it. He didn't, he didn't feel the same about that book as he did about the other books. So These were, you know, influential experiences in his life that reinforced what he already knew. And that's, you have to do what's in your heart. You have to follow the beat of your own drum. You need to, you know, manifest your dream the way that only you can see it. And you can't expect anybody else to have that vision. But he was tested on that and and he really had to uh, walk the talk. And he did. So we're now in 1987, and he, again, had um, five successful books already published, and he's married to um, Marceline, who he met on Valentine's Day in 1979. They'd had several babies together already, and I think he was in a really good place in his life. Marcy was also a deeply spiritual woman. And I can only imagine that that had a positive influence on him, maybe warming up to the concept of God or, or kind of being inspired to explore spiritual concepts in a way that maybe he hadn't looked at before. You know, one of the things that he learned from Carl Jung is that at, at different stages of your life, you know, you desire different things. So he was no longer maybe in that warrior path he was now moving towards the spiritual sage and and we get to a point in our lives some later than others some earlier where where we feel that calling to connect to meaning and to connect to something bigger than ourselves and start to see things a little bit differently so i think that's where he was in the late 1980s and he had been receiving many requests to speak at church services all around the country He'd been giving uh, talks at Unity and Religious Science churches where he said it was just as likely to hear a sermon on the writing of Ralph Waldo Emerson, Abraham Lincoln, Buddha, or Lao Tzu as on the direct teachings of Jesus Christ. And that these churches also emphasize spirituality as, you know, something that was more than traditional dogma and welcomed everybody. And you've probably heard Wayne say that, you know, anything that includes some and excludes others is not of God. So it turns out he was a spiritual man and not a religious man. And many of us would probably describe describe ourselves that way. But the things that Wayne Dyer talked about was not, you know, exclusive of religion. I know so many people who are... Um, quite religious in their own lives who really love his teachings and that, you know, they coexist beautifully. 
Now, I happen to be one who is not actively involved in any religious organization. I've kind of gone my own way with spirituality. And and for me, Wayne was a huge influence on opening my mind about what's possible and what I believe and kind of how to have that direct connection with the divine. So he's giving all these talks at the churches. And I have a quote from him here. It says, I'm excited to be considered a spiritual teacher. This is new for me since I have pretty much eschewed any religion. I see myself as a global person without any interest in excluding anyone. And I'm honored to be giving sermon-like talks at church services and to be associated with the likes of Emerson, Thoreau, Leo Biscaglia, Neville, and other transcendentalist teachers. Those were big influences in his life from very early on. So I think maybe that brought back like his love for these people and he saw um, the kind of work that they did that maybe what he could do now would be in alignment with that. And that really excited him. There was something, something inside of him waking up that said, this is the direction, that this is the new direction for you. And that excitement is always a sign to go for it. He says, the more I speak at these spiritual gatherings, the more I want to write about personal and spiritual transformation. I feel as if I'm being pulled in a new direction and I'm not the one doing the pulling. Something way bigger than little me seems to be taking over the reins of my life. So how beautiful to hear in his own words, like this experience of seeing himself in a new way. And I never really stopped to consider before what that must have been like for Wayne, maybe because when I discovered him, he was already talking about spirituality, but that was a big shift for him. And it was a huge gamble. You know, the publishers didn't think anybody would want to hear about this stuff. It wasn't going to sell. Nobody was interested in it. But Wayne was interested in it. And more than that, he felt pushed to bring it to all of us. So again, I am so thankful (laughs) that he took the chance and he did that. And because he did, he influenced my life in a big way. So now Wayne immerses himself in studying subjects like quantum physics, great philosophers, and Eastern and Western spiritual wisdom. He wasn't just absorbing these concepts intellectually, he was really feeling it. He said he was feeling closer and closer to God each day. He was thrilled to be considered a teacher of spiritual principles, and he began speaking almost full-time in churches throughout America and Canada. He was talking about God-realization and being able to create miracles in everyday life. So he was really talking about this. He, it's like he was transforming on the pulpit before his books reflected that change. But he was definitely changing, and he was bringing that to us in a big way. So I founded the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community Facebook group, and we have people from all walks of life, from all over the world, of all ages, really. And there's so many people that come in and tell a story of, oh, I heard Wayne talk at a unity church or, or a church here or there. And he was really going all, all over the world doing that. And so if you're in the group, please share more of those stories. I love hearing about that and just getting a little personal taste of what it was like to, you know, be a part of, I guess I want to say the early days. 
that maybe, <laughs> maybe I missed out on because um, I'm a little bit younger. But the first book that I read from him was You'll See It When You Believe It. And I had seen Wayne on PBS with my dad um, watching our local PBS station. And, you know, Wayne just really inspired me in a way that I can't even explain. And so I'm not quite sure what brought me to, to that book specifically, but that was the first book I owned. And I remember reading that at home and just highlighting everything in the book. And it felt so revolutionary. I knew it was changing me as I was reading it. It was opening my mind to what is possible, to living a no limit life, to being connected to God in a really personal way. And just changing the way that I look at things. And I absorbed that and I continued reading more of his books. So you'll see it when you believe it was his first spiritual nonfiction book. And from there on, I mean, there were so many more. He wrote um, over 40 books in total. And he goes on to write books with titles such as Real Magic, Your Sacred Self, There's a Spiritual Solution to Every Problem, Getting in the Gap, The Power of Intention, Inspiration, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, Living the Wisdom of the Tao. And so this book, you'll see it when you believe it, that the publishers didn't even believe in, was the first, but certainly not the last. He said, whereas before I would not use the words God, spiritual, or or higher consciousness in my writing, now I was deeply engrossed in metaphysical rather than purely physical teachings. He talks about the citations in his book that this one had um, 39 citations for God, spiritual, and higher consciousness. And in all the books he wrote previously, there was only one. And that was referring to Maslow's definition of self-actualizing. But he was really feeling this shift, and he felt like he went as far as he needed to go with psychology, particularly what he was teaching about rational emotive therapy from Albert Ellis and these self-actualization principles from Maslow. Um, You can hear more about that in my previous podcast, which is Wayne Dyer's origin story. And this book was aimed at giving specific suggestions on how to tap into the invisible part of ourselves. He had seven one-word concepts, one for each chapter. So here's the chapters in this book. Transformation, thought, oneness, abundance, detachment, synchronicity, and forgiveness. Beautiful. If I haven't inspired you to read this book yet, uh, I don't know what will. It's been years since I've read it, and I'm going to go back and read it again because it was really fantastic and definitely life-changing for me. So he wrote the book from November of 1987 to June of 1989. And afterwards, he goes on two national book tours, hundreds of public lectures, mostly in New Age churches. He says the audiences were so receptive that it's clear now there was something moving me to speak and write about spiritual awakening. And the success of this book proved without a doubt that there was indeed an audience for books about God and higher awareness in a non-religious format. I mean, what an awakening. You know, you, you can have God in your life without being a member of organized religion. 
And I think that's fantastic. It will reach you wherever you are. So this book debuted on the New York Times bestseller list, and it was well-received all over the world. Well done, Wayne. What a legacy you have left for us. If you haven't read his book, I can see clearly now. You can learn more about this story and so many other stories in his life where he's putting the pieces together in hindsight, looking back at how everything was connected. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. Please subscribe and tell your friends about it. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. Until next time, namaste. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.